Good morning, family. My name is Pastor Will Medell. I am the campus pastor of the Resonate location in the city of Hayward. And so we're kindred spirits. Man, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. I don't know if you know this, but I love your pastor. Pastor Josh loves you. He uh, is leading you so well. And I just know that he has a heart that um, I wish for so many pastors for their congregation. And so I, I can't say enough good things about your pastor. Uh, but I actually can't say enough good things about you. You see, my kids actually attend Burbank Elementary School. And so I know the things that you've been doing. I know that you've done a trunk or treat. I know that you've helped out with their PTA fundraisers. And let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Not just thank you for serving. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ uh, to a bunch of people who really don't know him yet. And so I am hopeful for your church. I'm cheering you on. I am a local pastor. I love you and I'm very happy to be here. Now, um, if you've been living in the city of Hayward for any amount of time, you've been dealing with the pandemic, just like the rest of the country, just like the rest of the world. And we, we have a, a little bit different here in the Bay Area. I have some family over in the Midwest and they've been open for a long time. For us, we're still under restrictions, but that's actually good news when it comes to our spiritual lives because I don't know about you, but the pandemic for me was really, really hard. And I could give you a million reasons, but Pastor Josh says I only have about two hours to preach. I'm joking, it's gonna be a lot shorter than that. Don't worry. What I've realized as I've searched deep into my soul is that one of the reasons why the pandemic has been so hard is that when every business shut down and things shut down and the schools shut down, the one thing that I needed more than anything else, or at least I thought I needed, was taken away from me. And that one thing is one word, worship. You see, it's funny, I'm a pastor, but even though I'm a pastor, I was worshiping at many other temples. See if you can identify with this. I would eat at the temple of restaurants and service. And when those temples were shut down, my soul, it, it got weary, it got angry. I, I worshiped at the temple of solitude. I have kids in elementary school. And so since I'm now their teacher, I don't have so much solitude anymore. And so all of these different temples where I worshiped, where Jesus is not worshiped, they've been closed down. And that has put so much pressure on my soul. Now, I don't, how about you? What are the things that God has actually been taking away and revealing to you that you've actually been worshiping things other than Jesus Christ? Well, I've got great news for you, okay? Because I believe that God today wants to help us as a family worship. Now, the way that he's going to do that is not the way that you think. You see, for American Christians or those people who live in this country that are Christians and, and, and kind of influenced by our culture, we kind of only have one play, and that play is, oh, stop it, act better so that God loves you more. And that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. The way that the gospel works is that God actually shows us something so much more brilliant, something better, something more beautiful, that it actually changes our hearts so that we chase after him. And so that's what God's going to do today. God wants to show us how we can fix our false worship and become true worshipers of Jesus Christ. Now, how's, how's he gonna do that? Well, we're gonna look at Psalm 8, and please grab your Bible. Hopefully you have it. Open to Psalm 8, and we're gonna read it. And as you read it, this is what's called a Psalm of Majesty. In other words, the author of this Psalm, David, is gonna point to something majestic, amazing. And the response that I'm praying, that I've been praying that God would do in you, is that you and I would see clearly what he wants to show us 
so that we'd worship. So let's open up the scripture together. This is what is written in Psalm 8. It says, to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. The sheep, the oxen, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now, if you notice in this psalm, the first line and the last line are exactly the same. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the organizing principle, the thesis of David's psalm. And what he's telling us is, man, God, when we look at you, our hearts worship. And so today I want to give you three snapshots that David is going to give us in this psalm that will help us worship God, not worship the things that we used to worship, not worship entertainment, not worship solitude, not worship sports. We will worship God if we see these three snapshots, okay? And as we see them, I believe that God will move our hearts to worship. So here's the first snapshot. The first snapshot is his power. David is talking about God's power. Now, this is what's interesting to me. We are Californians. If you're watching this, you're probably in Hayward or in the Bay Area somewhere. You live in California. And I think Californians should be the most worship-filled people on earth. Why? Because we have this amazing ocean. We have these great beaches. We have these great hills. We can go up to Tahoe. You can surf and snowboard on the same day. It's unbelievable. And yet we're surrounded by all that majesty and yet we don't worship. Well, what does David say in Psalm 1? Here's what he says. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. If you look at your Bible there, there's two words that pop out to me, and I promise you they would pop out to the original audience because you see, they would look at the word heavens and earth and connect that to Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think the early people that read this passage, the Hebrew uh, worshipers of God, would have connected that and said, oh, David is talking about creation. And that's exactly what David's doing. He wants you to see God's power in creation, which let's pause for a second as Californians and think about all the things that are around us that point to God's creative power. Think about the mountains that we go up, the Sierras. Think about the most beautiful vista in Yosemite. Think about being somewhere outside of our city limits, of course, outside of the bay, but being able to see on a clear starry night, the Milky Way. Think about being in Half Moon Bay and halfway into the ocean and the waves constantly crashing over you. Think about your last trip to Napa and enjoying some great food and some great wine. Think about, think about the unctuous nature of uni. Well, maybe from Southern California, not from here. I mean, we don't have good uni. But you can think about Dungeness Crab, right? All these different things show us that Californians should be some of the most 
the greatest worshipers in the world. And as I shared this passage with one of my friends one time, she actually shared to me, she actually stopped me, which is really funny. She's like, I know exactly what you're talking about, Will. You see, one time I was in Hawaii and I was in this beautiful cove and I, the water was perfect. It was, like, it was like a bathtub and there were verdant hills all around and there were birds flying and, and I could, you could just smell the sweetness and she, it just clicked for her. Oh my goodness, God's created all of this. And she started to cry because she was so moved by God's creation. And I think if David heard that story, he'd look at my friend and say, that That is exactly what we should do. All creation, everything that's ever been created points to God's majesty, not just the things that you can see. Because you see, God created art and science. He created the most beautiful painting ever painted, and he's created the organic chemistry that keeps us alive. God created hugs. God created families. God created birthdays and anniversaries. God created your pastor, Josh, who loves you and gave him the heart that allows him to shepherd you. God created laughter. He created music. He created elote, pozole. He created the most amazing pho you've ever had in your life. God created those things. God created those things. And what we need to realize is that if we take some time to look at where they lead, not just enjoyment in them themselves, but if we contemplate what they point to, it'll allow us to worship. Now, I have a confession for you this morning. I've been living in California for over five years, and I've never once been to Yosemite. And some of you are like, all right, turn him off. We can't listen to him anymore. He's not been to Yosemite. You know why? Well, um, I have the means I have the ability to get there in a car that would get me there safely. Uh, I know how to use a website. I can make reservations. I haven't made time. I haven't made the time to go enjoy Yosemite. And brother and sister, this morning, God is looking at you and saying, the reason why creation doesn't move you is because you haven't made time. You haven't stopped and thought about all the things that God has allowed you to enjoy, and you haven't seen how they point your soul to him, the creator. God is saying, if you look at his power, if you look at his power, it'll move you. Do you understand that God created all the stars in the heavens? And and we're most familiar with just one, the sun. And it's really a small star. It's not that big. God created stars much more massive. And do you understand that if every human on earth got together, we couldn't even try to create out of nothing a star, and yet God created billions and billions of galaxies. You see, our God, he's just showing off. If we look at all the things he's created, if we contemplated them, if we took the time, it would make our hearts bow and worship, and we would say, wow. We'd say, wow. Now, here's the crazy thing about Psalm 8. It's kind of like the movie Inception. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there are these these deeper levels of consciousness. And that's what, exactly what David's gonna do in Psalm 8. He says, first I want you to see a snapshot of his power, but he's gonna give us a second snapshot. The second snapshot built off the first, and the second snapshot is God's mindfulness. 
If we think about God's mindfulness, it will cause us to worship. Now, David pointed out the stars. Now, he did that on purpose. Let's look at why. Look at verses three and four. David writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you've set in place, when I stop and look at everything that you've created, when I'm blown away by it, when when I think about how big it is, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? (laughs) David says, when we stop and look at creation, when we see how amazing it is, how, how intricate organic chemistry is, when we see how beautiful love is, when we see all the stars in the heaven and that there's a God that created those things and we look at ourselves, David's saying, don't you see the scale? Don't you see that God's so big and, and, and you're, you're, you're this small? And he, he doesn't mean that in a mean way. He's actually applying it to himself. He's saying, God, I know who I am. I, I'm a nobody. I'm a, I'm a shepherd's son. And yet, for some strange reason, God, even though you've created all the universe, even though you have so many other things you could do, you care about me. God's, God's, David's saying, God, that doesn't make any sense. When I think of your mindfulness, when I think about the scale, I stop and think about it, and I just worship. And friend, I wonder if this morning, if God is calling you to do that to get lost in his greatness for just a moment. I, I, know, I know you've got bills to pay. I know you've got kids to educate. I know your boss is probably texting you right now. But if you put all those things aside and think about how big God is and think about who you are, where you come from. I mean, you're not the president of the United States. You're probably not somebody who's the CEO of a company. Maybe you are, but even if you were, you're not God. And yet... The God of the universe who created everything out of nothing, Jesus says he knows you. Jesus says that he knows you so well that even at this very moment, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Do you understand how crazy that is? Not just that he knows the number of hairs on your head, but you realize that that number changes every single day. And yet your father is so mindful of you, he knows that. Why? Because he's so, he's so in love with you. Don't, don't you remember the first time that you fell in love and, and, and just you try to gather up so much information about that other person and you learned all the favorite songs and their favorite color and where they like to go? And that's what God's doing for you. That's why he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's why he cares about that. Because even though you're so small, he cares for you. And David says, when I look at your creation, when I'm blown away by it, and then I understand, God, that you picked me out of all my other brothers, that God, you protected me from Saul, that tyrant, that God, that you used me to, sl- to slay Goliath, that God, that you used me to unite the When David's going through that process, he's saying, it makes no sense. And so what David does is he worships. Brother and sister, are you worshiping this morning? Do you see how amazing God, that in, in, in light of the fact that God is so big and so amazing, he knows you. God says, if you think about it, you'll worship. So his power, his mindfulness, and there's, there's a final snapshot that this psalm leads us to. And this one, this is, this is like the deepest one. So you got to give me a little bit of grace so I can get there. It's his humility. It's his humility. 
if we look at this psalm, you might be saying, hey, well, I thought you said this psalm was about Jesus. Like, like where's Jesus in this psalm? I'm so glad. Man, if you ask that question, I'm so glad you did, okay? He's all over the place. I'm not going to look at these passages with you, but please write down Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, because Jesus is all throughout this psalm. Let's look at John 1, 1, John 1, 1, 1 through 3 to look at what I'm talking about. John writes in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, there it is right there, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know what John is telling us? You know what Paul's telling us in Colossians? You know what the author of Hebrews is telling us? When David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic are your ways, and he points to creation, David's pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the creative agent in create, he is the agent of creation. So let's put Jesus into the psalm. Let's read the whole thing all over again and see how God stirs up your heart and say, oh my goodness, there he is. he's there again. There, there he, he's, Jesus is everywhere. All scripture points to Jesus, but especially in this psalm. Let's read it one more time. David writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion all over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now I know that was a lot that we read, but let me break it down for you. First, David says, oh my goodness, you're an amazing creator. Holy cow, how is it that you think of me? And then he goes on and talks about all the creatures that God has given humans responsibility to steward. David is saying, God, why are you letting us run the planet? Why did you put the planet in charge of us? But then David starts thinking about it. He's like, oh my goodness, what an amazing honor. And so David would ask you this morning, isn't it great that God put us in charge of the planet? Let me ask you that question. Is it great that God put us in charge of the planet? And I would say, no. It's not great because what kind of job have we done? We're not doing well. We're not taking care of the planet and the very essence of our nature, which is selfishness, sinfulness, cosmic treason, is infecting our world with disease, hate, anger, and destruction. So it's not good that we're in charge of this planet. But you see, I think David was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I don't think he understands what he's writing. I think he's actually writing prophetically. Now, why do I think that? Because the author of Hebrews chapter two picks up this passage and shows us how it points to Jesus. Check this out. This is what is written in Hebrews chapter two, verses six through nine. The author of Hebrews says, it's been testified somewhere, where? Psalm eight. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Now you've put everything in subjection under his feet. So now the author of Hebrews is going to give us some backstory. Here's how he backfills it. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, God left nothing outside of Jesus' control. Well, at present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to Jesus, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What in the world is the author of Hebrews talking about? We just read Psalm 8. I didn't see Jesus in it. What, what are you talking about, author of Hebrews? My kids have this awesome game at home. Well, it's a Nintendo Switch, but there's one in particular called Paper Mario. I don't know if you've ever played Paper Mario, but it's kind of cool. The original Paper Mario worked this way. It was a two-dimensional game. Mario just kind of goes like this and he jumps, you know, he's like that. But in Paper Mario, if you smash a button, the perspective completely changes and everything opens up three-dimensionally. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing here. Psalm 8 is like the two-dimensional version of Mario, and in Hebrews chapter 2, he opens it wide open for us so that we can see that David is speaking about Jesus. He hits the button so that we can see how amazing Jesus is and takes over where we messed up. Look at the passage one more time. The author of Psalm says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the, do you see it? Son of man. What was Jesus' favorite title for himself in the Gospel of Mark? Son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little while lower than the angels. You made him a little while lower, than, meaning he's God. And yet, for a brief period of time, when was it? The incarnation, Jesus was made lower than the angels. What was he made? He was made human, fully God and fully human which should blow your mind. See, some of you have been in church for so long, this is not making you worship. <laughs> Can you imagine that God in heaven would leave heaven to come down to our mud ball called earth? Some of you don't even like visiting where your church is located because it's in a really rough part of town. Let's be honest about that. Jesus left heaven to come visit us on earth. His humility is another snapshot that causes us to worship. When the pandemic started, it was so traumatic for everyone, especially for the kids. I have a kindergartner and I have a fourth grader. And we were locked in our homes. We didn't know how deadly this virus was. We didn't know what we were going to do. And our kids who were in rhythm of going to school every single day, being with their teachers, were suddenly locked up. And I remember one time that the Burbank teachers got together and they had a parade. They mapped out all throughout the Burbank school district. They had a route so that the kids could come out and see their teachers. And these teachers, for just a brief moment, they drive by and they had signs that say, how are you? We love you. We miss you. And I remember, like, I didn't even attend this school. And I saw, the, I saw Irma Fitzsimmons. I was, I was like, Irma, how? I just wanted to give her a hug. And I saw Sue, the, the, the attendance clerk, and I saw all the teachers. And just the moment of saying, hi, hi, like just them remembering us for a brief moment meant so much to my family and to my kids. Do you understand that Jesus did this on such a greater level? That Jesus' name, one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us, that God didn't drive through. God took a seat. God reclined at the table. God ate with us. God was with us. And, and, and Jesus is telling us today through his servant David, if you would see that snapshot of his humility, it would make you worship. But it's not just that God visited us. It's what he did. It's why he came. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. Cross-reference with Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. 
What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've put everything in subjection under his feet. Well, author of Hebrews, how is everything put under the subjection of Christ? He goes on, verses eight and nine. Now in putting everything under subjection to his feet, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we don't see everything subjected to him. What we do see, though, is for a little while, Jesus was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Now, he could have been crowned with glory and honor because he's big. He could have been crowned with glory and honor because he created everything. He could have been crowned with glory and honor because he's do it, because he's God. He could have been crowned with glory and honor because like those teachers, he did a drive-by and we miss you. No. What does the text say? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Do you see where Adam and his family was given control of the earth? We mess the earth up, but Jesus comes. Jesus is the better Adam, that Jesus comes and restore. Where Adam's rule led to death, Jesus' reign leads to life. Where Adam's rule led to treason, Jesus' rule leads to adoption. Jesus comes and saves us. He absolutely saves us. How? By wearing the crown of glory. How did that crown get there? Look at the text again, verse nine. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. So by by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let me ask you a question. Should a king ever suffer? Should a king ever suffer? Of course not. A king deserves honor. A, A king deserves pomp and circumstance. A king deserves the best. A king deserves to be served. And yet when Jesus comes in on today, Palm Sunday, how does he come in? Does he come in on a mighty stallion? He comes in on a lowly donkey. Everything about Jesus' earthly ministry pointed to his death, that though he was God, though he should have been served, he serves. And ultimately, Paul says he serves how? Taking the very form of a slave, even being nailed to the cross. That's how Jesus serves. And when you see his humility, when you see how big he is, when you understand that Jesus is the one that created all the stars, Jesus created every little ounce of sushi, Jesus created the love that you have between your spouse or between your child or between your parent, that Jesus is the one that created all that, and yet Jesus was the one that took our nails. It'll cause your heart to worship. It'll cause your heart to worship. Now listen. The goal of this sermon, the goal of Psalm 8, is not for you to feel guilty. The psalm of this sermon is to point your heart at the beauty and majesty of our God. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How so? One, your power. God, when I look at your creation, (laughs) it blows me away. Two, your mindfulness. The fact that even though you created all that, you care about me, you know about me, you know what I love, you know how many hairs are on my head? And then finally, his humility. That God, I rebelled against you. I'm the one that should be on that cross. That's my cross. And yet, you bore that cross for me. You bore that cross for me. You know, there's a song that wraps all this up, talks about the God of creation 
They're at the start before the beginning of time. (laughs) He didn't have any blueprint at all. He creates every star. But in the final verse it says, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it there. (laughs) If you focus on that, if you focus on that, you will worship this great king. And you'll say with David, oh Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth.